The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, it's Captain of Comics. I'm your host, John Clark, and I am angry. Uh, it's been a week where I'm having a hard time focusing with things that are going on. Uh, and to try to take a break from things that are going on, I watched uh, The Rise of Skywalker again, which uh, made me angry uh, about things that were going on. So I watched, uh, then I went to social networking and uh, saw blatantly uh, frightening, desperate attempts to explain what was going on. So then I went to YouTube and watched Rise of Skywalker videos, which were uh, frighteningly, blatantly trying to explain what was going on. So <laughs> since I couldn't wrap my brain around this, I thought I'd talk to Bill. Bill Monroe is back on. And uh, Bill, Bill, you and I met in 1988. Yes. And I can say you are really ultimately just like Bruce Banner. Uh, as this intro intro makes clear, because I've I've known you since oh a, since since like I say since the late eighties, and your secret is that you're always angry. Yeah, it's just I I, I get more the older I get, the more layers I have to bury it. <laughs> well, so one of the reasons I wanted to it's talk an to onion you. of rage. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, oh, I now have an icon for the show. <laughs> No more of the coffee ring around the cape guy. <laughs> it's an onion of rage. Onion of rage. It's like milk and cheese. <laughs> like the Evan Dorkin comic. Um, but one of the reasons, there, there were a couple of reasons I wanted to talk to you. Uh, first, we haven't spoken since like summer, other I than know, a couple of text and, messages. And it's not like anything's been going on in our lives since then. Yeah, well, we don't know. We haven't talked since summer. Um, <laughs> the uh, you, and I, uh, you and I have been... Uh, best friends for like 30 years we have i realized we have traveled about as much of the world that i have seen together <laughs> we have driven from seattle to chicago we have flown to las vegas we've gone to we took a cruise ship to mexico and the caribbean so uh, we know each other pretty well yeah um but we've always been kind of uh divergent politically i've always been kind of uh, a hippie who hates bullies. My whole, my whole uh, mantra comes with, I'm so angry inside. Why do I need more reasons to be angry? <laughs> like, dude, let poor people have food. Fine. Go away. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, when we met, you came from more of a conservative ship. You were more, we met uh, at the end of the Reagan administration when being a Republican conservative wasn't like being in the Manson family. They weren't insane then. Yeah. I mean, sure, they were fringes of the party that were, but there were the Republicans in the 80s. I mean, yeah, you could talk about, you know, the Reagan legacy and all those changes and and all of that. But at, for the most part, the Republican Party at that point wasn't um, sort of nearly as dark and fringy and just ridiculous as it is now. I, I used to describe it. Uh, and then I went to went to college in Montana. And I would say used to say I was I was a New York Republican, which put me to the left of most Montana Democrats at the time. Yeah, because yeah, because you were in an urban center. 
Um, yeah. So one of the one of, so one of the things the main thing I want to talk about is just kind of how you saw the party change over the years, um, whereas I saw it just become a bigger and bigger adversary. Um, the other th- reason I wanted to talk to you is I have never been angry at you. <laughs> I have been angry around you, but you have mm-hmm. the ability to diffuse that. And then we can drink brandies on the deck of a ship. This, these are sure. things that actually happen. Sure, absolutely. And that's where I need to be right now because I, I can't spend the next two hours going, well, how did Paul Bettine even clone himself? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I have noticed is, you know, let's say I, I did grow up Republican. I've tended to identify more as generally centrist. Uh, the last time I voted for a Republican for president was in 1992. Uh, when uh, Bush was running, Bush one was running for re-election, and I think a lot of people have looked back on on Bush the first and thought, you know, he was actually a smart guy. He was actually a reasonable guy, uh, and uh, he was someone who, I think, even when a lot of people disagreed with him and disagreed with, and and there was a lot of disagreement. Remember in '92 when uh, the U.S. initially deployed, deployed troops to Saudi Arabia after Iraq invaded Kuwait because uh, apparently Kuwait was snaking their oil drilling gear underneath the border and trying to steal Iraqi oil, according to the Iraqis. Oh, so, so I, I don't remember that. So slant drilling was like, was the story they posted. That was one of, that was one of the, uh, one of the, one of the things that came up. And one of the things that, that gets forgotten a lot uh, even in the post uh, 9-11 discussion, is that Al-Qaeda wasn't against the U.S. at first. Al-Qaeda was ultimately a Saudi insurgent group that right. was opposing the Saudi leadership. And once the U.S. deployed troops to Saudi Arabia to station them there in advance of going into Kuwait, um, then Al-Qaeda's move became, look, just the U.S. just needs to leave Saudi Arabia. Just get your troops out. That's what they initially wanted from the U.S. And, well, then, of course, things evolved and spiraled and ultimately led to, um, you know, not defend, not defend, just to be clear, not defending Al-Qaeda in any way. Just I want us to understand some of the context here that ultimately led into the uh, 9-11 attacks, uh, which makes the Bush II invasion of Iraq even that much more mind-blowing since the the whole thing was because we went to Iraq in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was very clear. And I feel like uh, I want to get I want to get a timeline, so I don't want to jump around too much. But uh, 9-11, I I felt like – was really when they decided to go to war against Iraq, it really felt like an excuse. It really felt like, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to yeah. finish what we did in 92. And it's the in the Clinton general of- area, so people won't care. <laughs> Especially since the Clinton era of contain- plan of containment, no-fly zones, was working at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I think what we really started to see the Republican Party uh, fall apart I don't even want to say fall apart. It was really where it sort of became more of the force that it has become over the last several years has been in the mid nineties. And that was the Newt Gingrich era of the contract with America. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I feel like that's when 
uh, it, the party became infused with vitriol. Um, and that's something that as a Democrat that always confused me because Clinton, uh, I wouldn't let Clinton watch my cat. <laughs> um, but the country ran really, really well in those years. Like we look back at the nineties as this golden age. It was so much of a golden age that we were obsessed with UFOs because we didn't have any other problems. So the X-Files was this gigantic hit and there were all these copycats because maybe aliens might be here. <laughs> well, yes, but at the same time, if you look at the core throughput uh, through lines in the X-Files, though, it actually mirrors a lot of what we're seeing today in modern politics. Uh, you know, the X-Files was ultimately with the smoking man and all these other things opposing Mulder and Scully at the FBI. That was the deep state. That's what uh, you know, the guys with the horns and the drossel chest tattoos invading the Capitol are talking about today. It's about the deep state, this hidden conspiracy that they are convinced is trying to undermine uh, Trump. Right. And there is a very Mitch McConnellness to the cigarette smoking man. I feel like all he really <laughs> yeah. needed was a pair of glasses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems like when I go back to when we met, um, which was probably when I first became aware of politics. I joined speech and debate to be a drama kid. You joined speech and debate to be a public speaker, but you were on more of the debate side. So I would, you guys would talk about Reagan and I'd be like, I don't think I like Reagan. Uh, um, uh, Reagan for me, I think the wool came off of my eyes when I realized Judge O was just propaganda. I was like, uh, wait, 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 Cobra's not gonna take over the world. <laughs> I was like, G.I. Joe is such an allegory for the buildup of military spending in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It was like, we need spaceships that can also go underwater. Right. So this troop who has been rendered mute from his missions can take them to fight ninjas and a guy with a metal face. Yeah. But, uh, but around that point was when I started to think that, uh, we, that they might be going a little hard right. And that's also when... A lot of the deregulation that that um, Reagan did took decades to really roll down the hill. Mm -hmm. For but from outwardly, he was all about the productivity of America. And on the far fringe at that point in the late '80s, I keep thinking about Morton Downey Jr. Nah, not Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, who at this point was just doing lots of drugs and missing auditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Morton Downey Jr. If you don't remember was this screaming talk show host and every all the debate kids watched it i remember like i remember we all watched it and it was it was the first time i'd seen a debate show where it was just about uh people who screamed louder it had nothing to do with facts or who had the most cogent argument and i feel like newt gingrich uh kind of took that framework and put it in the senate well, well, here's the thing. What here's what Newt Gingrich did that was that was really brilliant. Um, shouldn't be considered brilliant because this is just what we, what you and I do in uh, in our in our professional careers. Uh, it's all about what is the core message you want to want to land. How can you simplify this message in a way that people can understand, can retain, and can then execute on. You know, you do that in advertising when you're talking about what is the core 
objective of this ad? What does the client want? What do we need to, what's our goal with the client and how can we make that land as quickly as possible? When I talk about uh, training, it's about what is our core learning objective? What do we want people to learn? What do we want people to do after this? What Newt Gingrich did with his contract with America was he outlined these core principles, which really there hadn't been this cogent actionable core principles that had been publicly broadcast uh, by the Republican Party in such a way that people could say, these are the 10 things we want done and we want to do. He was able to articulate these key speaking points and propagate them, which then gave people an opportunity to latch on to something. Because when you're talking with large groups of people, you need to be able to give them something they can latch onto. And we continue to see this. You can use this for For good. example, trial by combat. Trial by combat. Or more specifically, if I ask you, what was the core theme of the Hillary Clinton campaign? Do you remember her slogan? I'm with her. I'm with her. What does that what does that even mean? I mean, when you look at the core theme of the Trump campaign in, in 2016, make America great again. Yeah, okay. it's a call, it's a call to action. It's neither a call to action, neither it's a definable. Simple. Yeah, no, but it's 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 identifying that change. It's something what is Trump all about? It's all about making America great again. Obviously, he didn't do that. He did just the opposite. But I, if you wanted to say what it, you know, what is Hillary about? The only thing you what you came up with was, you know, I'm with her. And again, in that case, that's not about what is uh, going to do for you. It's not about what what she's going to do for the country. That's about her. Trump's slogan was all about what he can do for you. It's about making America great again. Now, I'm not saying Hillary was not for the people. I mean, she clearly was. But I think from a just sheer marketing perspective, that was a fail from not having a simple, articulatable uh, vision. Even, you know, and even Reagan, his uh, perspective, his was, you know, it was all about it's morning in America. America That's something yeah. we can get behind. It was all about the shining you know, city on the hill off now than you were four years ago. Simple messages that people yeah. could resonate with, which the Democrats uh, failed to do for the most part. Well, with and Obama, that's a problem. They won with hope and change. Yes. And that and with and that's a simple message. That's and the problem with the Democratic Party as opposed to the Republican Party. And we've seen that widen further and further is that. Uh, what attracts me to the Democratic Party is that it's inclusive. The problem is it can't get out a single message mm -hmm. because they're like, well, we need to make sure that everyone is adequately represented with this message. So you get these broad, diffused, mixed messages that have asterisks in them and footnotes. And then with and, the, with the Republican that makes Party, terrible ad copy. Yeah. And the Republican Party, as their platform has really just become more and more negative. But it's like we're all going to do this, and the people that in the party go, I don't think we should do this. They're immediately punished for it. So I would rat. I I understand why the Republicans are in uh, have been more effective in the last ten years. Uh, I still wouldn't want to be in that. But so 
Sure. Well, I think the other thing to understand, too, about the Republican Party is that the Democratic Party is a coalition of dozens or hundreds of broad interest groups. The Republican Party has really been, again, since the mid-90s, a coalition of three groups, the uh, Christian, far Christian right, the uh, business Republicans, and the uh, strong on defense America first group. Yeah, which ties into the NRA. It ties into the uh, ties into the NRA. Ties into all that. They fall into some of the uh, the Christian conservatives, and there's all of those different things. And what we're starting to see now is that coalition is fractioning, especially as the business uh, wing of the party has seen how the party has botched the uh, the uh, the the pandemic has uh, embraced the uh the fringe right and is really undermining things and is doing things that are bad for business it's where is the and we'll get into all of that which uh, obviously leads to the news this week um uh which honestly i'm still trying to process where was the breaking point for you as you said you voted for you voted for bush you didn't vote for dole i didn't vote for dole uh i didn't vote for dole because of kemp I, I liked Dole for the most part. I thought he was do he had a lot of good things, but then they brought on Kemp and in an appeal to the far right of the party, the uh, the economic conservatives, they just decided they were just going to adopt this across the board. What was it a, a 15 to a 25% tax cut? And I was like, that is simplistic, that is pandering. And that was sort of where I, I lost interest in supporting the Dole campaign. And you and you never came back. Uh, never, never came w back. W didn't I mean, bring you back. Who was to come back for Bush? Yeah, Bush two against Gore. Yeah, it was uh, W. Then it was McCain was saddled with Sarah Palin. Yeah, and yeah, then and that what, reflected a and that reflected a very poor judgment on the part of McCain. Yeah, Again, he McCain was, was somebody that a lot of people respected, and I think if McCain had chosen a centrist Republican as his running mate, uh, I think a lot more people would have a lot more confidence in McCain. Well, I think, again, that's optics is that we, you know, everybody talks about the 1960 um, uh, presidential debate where Nixon debated Kennedy. Most people say because it was the first televised debate, Kennedy won because he looked so good. And uh, Nixon, uh, my favorite story about the Nixon debate is uh, Billy West, who voices a lot of uh, characters on Futurama, said when he was a kid, he watched that debate. And he was about five or six. And when Nixon came on, he went, mommy, mommy, that guy's turning into a werewolf. <laughs> and actually he did Nixon on Futurama, like the uh -huh. president's always Nixon in a jar. Right. And every now and then he'll just go. Rah, rah, <laughs> and that's because mm -hmm. Billy West thinks he looks like a werewolf. <laughs> and I think that's when that's when optics took over. I think Sarah Palin was like, hey, there's a young black guy running for the Democrats. Let's get like a young white woman to counterbalance that. And honestly, uh, you can go back to Quayle of like, you know, let's let's get a younger, handsome guy. And Quayle was the first guy I remember who seemed unqualified for the job. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, now it seems quaint to say he signed potato with an E. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That, most of his his sentences generally had subjects and verbs. Generally. Oh. <laughs> and sometimes they connected to each other. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th I think the other side of it, too, is that it's an appeal to the right. 
because in the case of Palin, I, I think, yeah, they needed to, they wanted to put a woman up because, uh, uh, because, you know, they were competing against the, the first African-American candidate there uh, in, in, a, in a major party. And at that point, a lot of people thought Hillary would be the vice president. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and, the, and the thing there was, it was, so that was part of it, but it was also because she represented the far right of the party and they wanted to uh, sort of get the far right of the party engaged. But, you know, the thing is, general as a general rule you want to run to the extremes in the primaries you want to run to the center in the main election unless you are really scared about turnout yeah and i feel like that's where we've gone the last Mm -hmm. few have been like appeal to the extremes appeal to the extremes and we're we're at the point where like and hopefully the extremes will stop the other side from voting (laughs) yeah so as a what let's go back to 2016 as are you still are you you a registered republican still no i'm not registered with either party okay so you're an independent yeah so what did you think in 2016 when uh when trump started to take over in the primaries i think you know when we saw him come down that escalator it looked like a joke it was a joke it was a it was a pr stunt for celebrity apprentice uh, which backfired because he started yelling about Mexicans. Yeah. Um, and then he well, decided, it, well, it, now it, I don't have a job. I guess I'll just do this. But how did you feel when he was starting to knock down, you know, the Marco Rubio's and the Jeb Bush's and the Kucinich's? I, you know, I really didn't take it. I was convinced this whole thing was just a piece of performance art. I mean, you know, I, in a way it I, still is. I, I have thought that his campaign was probably being funded by the NEA under an arts grant or something. Yeah. It's performance no art with this, a body count. Yeah. There was no way this made, this made sense. And I think uh, probably uh, Trump didn't actually want to win. No, I think he, you know, I think he was, he wanted to lose and then rail against the system and inspire his group and whatever. And he was talking about starting a 24 hour news network to compete against Fox news. Yeah, exactly. Which and he, then I think I would say he still might do, but with these last couple of weeks, I don't know anybody that would invest in him. That has more it, than 50 bucks. Give it two years. It'll happen. Absolutely. Uh, um, but, uh, but yeah. And then uh, and, and he kept doing it. I think nobody really expected that. Uh, and I think that's the surprise. He tapped into something. Uh, he tapped into a frustration. He articulated clear uh, views in a way, like we were saying before. And he was a master of the medium. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I think he was. <laughs> I think uh uh the impeachment broke him and now he's now he's uh he's got his following his follow the the question i'm reading now is why isn't his following abandoning him um but he was the biggest celebrity they had he he was he was ronald reagan through a morton downey jr filter yeah uh because he knew how to play to the cameras he knew how to he knew how to give messaging and uh like i said this was a pr stunt that once he had no job and once one and I think the Republican lineup they had was so weak is that that Republican demographic has been shrinking as the country becomes more diverse as you know, the boomers, the boomers are this huge kidney stone in the, in the urethra of America. 
of this huge thing that grew really big. It was all we thought about. And it was predominantly white uh, and had those those values, which we don't have anymore. And I, I think the Republican Party stopped trying to talk to everybody, as you said, stopped trying to go to the center and was just like, let's just keep these people activated. And as they've gotten older, they've gotten more scared. Keep in mind, those people that we're talking about, when you're talking about the boomers like that, those are the people who were rioting in the 60s. Those are the people who were protesting the war in the 60s. Right. Those are the people who galvanized the left, who formed the uh, the modern Democratic Party. Now, why do you th- what do you think is a reversal with that generation? I think that uh, there may be a natural element to that. I think the other thing that happened is that the world certainly changed around them. The 80s changed everything, 80s and 90s, from a technology perspective. I think that uh, that changed things. I think even with uh, the folks on the, um, yeah, remember all those those hippies. Those are the boomers, right? Right, and that and they're the reason. They're the reason that uh, pop culture took over. There were just so many of them. I, I've said this a lot. There's a reason Frank Sinatra was famous, but the Beatles were gods. And the, the reason is numbers. Mm-hmm. There were just, there were way more teenagers in the 60s than there were in the 40s. So that they could mm-hmm. elevate this. The, and so they were very used to, as a generation, if they all pivoted together, they got what they wanted. And they had that natural arc of, of humanity, the best quote I heard, and I wish I knew who to attribute it to. They said, uh, from your twenties to your forties, you're building something. And then from your forties until death, you're protecting what you built. Okay. And I think what, what we're seeing is that the change has come that isn't protecting the world of the sixties and seventies. And, uh, you know, I watched, um, the other night, Ben and I went down a rabbit hole and there was an hour of eighties commercials. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, let's look at 80s commercials and watching. God, it must have been like 75, 80 commercials in a row. The The message I got, the message he got was this was crazy and these commercials are stupid. And why did anybody buy anything? But the message I got was that there is no way we could keep up this level of consumption. Nah. There's no way everybody buying all this stuff and all this stuff that was so bad for you because every third commercial was a heavily sugared food. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm like, oh, I see the obesity epidemic here. I see I see the landfills of plastic here. Um, that was a, a culture that the planet can't sustain that. You know, the planet cannot sustain infinite growth. And I think reality is hitting of we can't keep doing this the way we're doing this and make America great again was Trump saying, yes, we, yeah, we can do that. We can just keep doing that. We can just keep buying things and uh, keeping the people at the top at the top forever. And everything, everything that contradicts that is lie. Um, and it just seems so strange to me that the Republicans seem so even measured. In fact, they always seemed uh, more detached and more aloof than the Democrats. You know, yep. the, the they term seem, bleed they, part they liberal. Boring. Yeah, we heard bleeding heart liberal was the phrase we grew up with of like, oh, you need to care about everything. And and that the criticism was liberals didn't want to make the hard choices of like, look, not everybody can be rich. These people are going to be rich and these people aren't going to be rich. And for this generation to go, well, climate change is not happening. Well, the coronavirus will just go away. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, they aren't really killing black people. It's so 
divorced from any kind of objective truth that they've just attacked the objective truth. Now, so coming well, from here, that perspective, here's, here's, how do you feel? One of the other things that comes into play with Trump's rise, rise to power is that he didn't care. See, uh, we see that running, now. Yeah. When he when he was running to pre- running for president, he didn't care if he won. So when when you are in a position of you don't care, there are no negative consequences. You know, he could screw he could just say all these outrageous things and if he had a political messed up misstep, he didn't care. It didn't matter, which really empowered him. And I think that you know, we don't we don't want to look at look at Trump. We don't want to look at any, anybody else. But, you know, we can one of the lessons we can take is that even in your career, if you're in a position where uh, firing you is going to cause a serious problem in your life, you're going to care and you're going to try not to make mistakes. If you're in a position where the worst thing they can do is fire you and it's not that bad, suddenly you're empowered to really do some amazing things and things can either implode or you can have a lot more success. When you no longer have to care about the consequences of your actions, amazing things can happen and horrible things can happen. Yeah, that, that's actually- they're going to be more extreme. That's a technique I always use in job interviews that I, I tell people when you're preparing for a job interview, I go, uh, the moment you walk in that door, think maybe I don't want this job. And then you you care less and people who care less appear more confident because they're not worried about the consequences. Exactly. Um, and, you know, although this is a president that is constantly screaming against people when the most minor of infractions are happening, like mm-hmm. being removed from Twitter. Yeah. So but. uh well, where do you think where, where do you think the Republican Party is at this point? Is it worth saving? I mean, is it you know you have the Ted Cruz's and the Hawleys of the world who, after being attacked, say say this election is fraudulent and repeat those lies. You have Mike Pence who, uh, as mobs of people roam the hallway saying "Hang Mike Pence," uh, won't enact the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Like, where do you think the Republicans are now? The the ones that aren't Trump. I think they're uh, they're all trying to figure out what's going to happen. Everybody is still trying to wake up after this party. I think there's a couple of things we need to realize that are going on here. First of all, uh, people are are looking at uh, Ellen Ellen Chow and Betsy DeVos and uh, as making the brave decisions to leave the administration and turn their back on Trump. Let's be clear about two things. First of all, rats fleeing a sinking ship are still rats. Yeah. Also, you have two weeks. So they, well, you, your two beyond, weeks notice you're leaving on a, inauguration day. Well, you know, beyond that, uh, they're not abandoning Trump. By leaving the administration, they are supporting Trump because now they cannot be put in a position of having to support or oppose his removal under the 25th Amendment. Right. So they yeah, are they've, t- they've taken they are themselves- escaping the hard choices. Yeah. And that's what Pence is trying to do. Uh, you know, Schumer and Pelosi uh, called them to talk about the 25th Amendment and he put them on hold for 20 minutes. Yeah. Pence. Think about Pence. Two things to keep in mind about Pence uh, is that. First of all, he is a very savvy politician. He understands uh, how to get things done and how to do things. Second, uh, one of the things that makes him very different from Trump, I believe, is that Pence operates on principles. Now, we may find his principles abhorrent, but they are core to him and guiding 
his actions. And I think those two things lead him to taking a position now. If he's doing a lot of wait and see. Right now, invoking the 25th, does that, uh, that has the potential to hurt him in 2024. Not invoking it, is that really going to hurt him with his core support in the Republican Party in the 2024 campaign? And is the, um, is the general uh, electorate going to see that as a reason to not vote for Pence in 2024, the fact that he did not try to remove Trump, when at the same time, he can just let the, uh, the Congress try to do that through the impeachment process. His, his, he's made his, his position. He invoked, he opposed the, uh, the coup. He brought in the National Guard to try and, uh, and stage it and has the appearance of holding the line, but he does not have to do a whole lot more for his political future at this point, except not screw up. And uh, he's got a, and depending on what happens over the course of the next year, he's got a strong line into the 2024 mm-hmm. primary. Yeah, you think so? I'm, uh, I keep thinking about this taint of Trump. I feel like, I feel like we're all drunk on rage. And when that hangover comes, we're not going to want to look, it's going to be like a one night stand. You know, uh, everyone we were, everyone people were in bed with, they're going to wake up the next morning with the horrible light of reality and, and shun them. But then it, I think, it all. God, I think it all depends on how to remember about the 2020 election is that, uh, you know, we can look at this. A lot of people have said that, you know, it must be fake. It must be rigged because look at the rallies that Trump had and look at the rallies that Biden had and Biden drew so much fewer people. Never mind the fact that the, the Biden supporters were smart enough not to go out. To no, but that is the point. The, the Biden didn't want all those people there because of the pandemic. Exactly, exactly. But at the same time, people, most of the people who voted for Trump really wanted Trump to win. Most of the people I think who voted for Biden were like, okay, I guess if we got to have one, uh, we'll vote for Biden or they voted against Trump. Uh, He does not inspire the same level of excitement and loyalty that Trump inspires. And I think that's important to remember. Now, come 2024, Biden has to put in a really significant performance over these four years in order to uh, in order to have a strong victory. Or, um, you know, depending on what happens and, you know, again, going worst case scenario here, uh, because there is going to be another coup attempt on the 20th. Yeah. I mean, we've, or- we've already it seen is going to happen. As we've recorded, uh, as we've rec- we're recording this, there have already been uh, more state coups. Yeah, uh, Kentucky yeah. had one today, and you know, mm-hmm. I think the difference. What gives me hope is the difference is um, what we won't have on inauguration day is the Trump administration keeping the national guard away and and bringing the Capitol police countdown. Hope, hopefully, hopefully, because that uh, that's what made the difference between you know this and the summer, and this, and, you know, in the summer. Yeah. Uh, they were criticized for militarizing against Black Lives Matter, which was a peaceful protest, um, you know, epitomized by the couple pointing guns at them from their house. 
Yeah. And who spoke at the convention, by the way? Uh, <laughs> I think what we'll have now is we'll have a Biden administration calling the shots that morning and going, look, we've already had a violent coup. We're, Biden, Biden we're administration the doesn't get to Biden administration doesn't get to call the shots until 1201. Until what? 1201? Yes. So until he leaves the inauguration. Until Biden takes the oath of office, President uh, Trump is still president until you know noon on January twentieth, and his team is calling the shots. Yeah, so we might have the same anemic security. And if things go terrible, go really badly, when we start looking at twenty twenty four, are we going to be looking at the actions of the Biden administration or the actions of the Harris administration? Yeah, th- well, there's always that. I mean, this administration has a hell of a job to do. Um, we're not the country we were four years ago and we're not a sustainable country. It's not like, okay, this is the direction we're going in now. Like, you know, we're all locked down in our homes and shooting each other, uh, from windows. <laughs> that works. So we're, most of this administration is going to be cleanup. Uh, so the question is, is how well they're going to do that. I, I feel hope in at least that's going to happen. We're not. Whereas the last four years, it was always doubling down on more damage. Cleanup does not inspire passion. Well, nobody likes maintenance. That's why the roads are fucked up. Nobody likes maintenance. Nobody is excited about cleanup. Excitement wins elections. Right. And unfortunately, we, we've had the excitement of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you feel Wednesday? <laughs> I was like, well, obviously I was seeing the anger uh, as this coup was attempted and that uh, there was not a serious effort to put a stop to it. Uh, Everybody who who uh, crossed into the Capitol uh, building that day um, really they should have been maybe we shouldn't have gotten them out of the Capitol as quickly until we got enough buses there to actually arrest all of them so that they could go spend the rest of their lives in federal uh, detention, or I guess up to 20 years, which I think. Well, is the to, yeah. Well, uh, Trump signed, signed an executive order up to 10 for damaging federal property. Right. Right. And I think it's, well, that's damaging federal property. I would, I would, I would favor the 20 that comes with sedition. Yeah. Uh, and raising an insurrection. I mean, let's let's be clear. The uh, we you know, and we see a guy walking around with a Confederate battle flag. First yep. of all, that that Confederate flag that we talk about, that's not the flag of the Confederate States of America. It's the it's the flag for the it's the Confederate battle flag. That is literally the flag that calls to rally people to kill soldiers of the United States. It's an of enemy of the United States. Yeah, it's it's literally, like what? anybody who is flying the Confederate flag is literally calling for the death of U.S. soldiers. It's not that far off from the swastika, but but they managed to keep it going just under quote unquote tradition. I was like, yeah, the tradition of your sedition, which yeah. man, I see that makes me want to be an African-American person because I really could have sold that. <laughs> if I was Jesse Jackson. Yeah. Oh, I don't even want to do that impression, man. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah, no, don't do the impression. <laughs> do not do the impression. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, yeah. But that I, we're seeing arrests now, like, you know, because yeah. they all went in and took selfies of themselves because they felt untouchable. So- and, and I get it. At one level, the, the if the primary duty of the Capitol Police is to secure the safety of the lawmakers, okay. 
But which they did. We didn't have any deaths. We had deaths of police and we had deaths of protesters. Right. Well, let's let's be clear about the death of the police. That was an that was that was an officer who was literally beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. Right. And one of yeah. Whereas the one of the deaths of the protesters was he tasered his own testicles and had a heart attack. Uh, allegedly, I, I've seen that. I really, really hope that's true. I have not. I seen really that. hope that's true. I'm propagating it because I hope yeah. it's true. I, I have not seen that uh, specific story backed up by uh, mainstream press. No, but it's always attributed to the same guy, which gives me hope. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, nobody's using a picture of somebody else. Yeah, yeah. No, we know which guy it is, but if that's the act, and he was actually killed by a heart, by heart attack, but it's the taser to the testicles that is uh, in question. Now, the other one that has been backed up in in the irony is that the woman who was shot, or excuse me, one of the women who was killed was trampled by the protesters. Yeah, not that's not the one who was shot. That was just somebody else. Yeah, right. And she was seen earlier photographed carrying a "Don't Tread on Me" flag. Well, that just shows those guys couldn't read. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She was clearly marked. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we do we do ourselves a disservice by assuming that all these people are ignorant, uh, poor hicks. Oh, no, they were lawmakers in there. They were police officers. Yeah. And there exactly. were police officers inside that were moving the gates aside and taking selfies with them. Whether right. right. And, 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 and any time we start assuming that all these people are just dumb and idiots, you're making a serious mistake of underestimating them. Right. And I think that's the that is the danger moving forward as, yeah, we are going to get we're going to get something. And hope hopefully there's enough of an independent um, FBI and military that that will be better protected against this happening again. But you're right to to make fun of them helps us. You know, like Mel Brooks always said, you know, the one weapon we had against the Nazis was laughter, which is why he was making Hitler jokes well into the 1980s mm-hmm. uh, because he had fought in World War II. And he was that was his way of exercising that. But you're right. We do run the risk of of downplaying it. And like these calls from a lot of the a lot of the Republican senators who, who incited this because they thought it was fun, who are now saying, well, now is the time for healing. But it's like but. There's two things I know. You can't heal with a knife still in your chest. Mm-hmm. And mollifying a bully just makes you a bigger victim. And, be- and this, is, this is coming from the smallest kid in the class who watched Star Trek all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know a thing or two about bullies. Right. <laughs> to the uh, point you- where I'm, I'm a middle-aged man on a Sunday afternoon in a dining room talking to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here's the uh, here's the thing that, that I think there's that, a football uh, game on. Maybe <laughs> uh, Seahawks are out. <laughs> I think the Bears are doing something. <laughs> but um, one of the things that as I've been hearing these calls for peace and unity, two things have come to mind. First of all, yeah, I, I don't seem to recall your interest in uh, in unity and moving on uh, when you spent hundreds of millions of dollars and years investigating Benghazi. Right. Uh, secondly, we now I, had I more keep, people die riot than died of Benghazi. Yeah, exactly. Secondly, the other thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, and, and here, let's, let's, let's bring back that whole Catholic school upgrading here. Uh, I keep hearing punches pilot from uh, Jesus Christ superstar uh, as uh, the Pharisees are calling for, 
you know, we turn to Rome to deal with Nazareth. We have no rule, no law to put a man to death. And Pilate is uh, responding. It's like, up until now, support for Rome has been noticeably lacking. Yeah, right. I love that. Oh, God, I love I love Jesus Christ Superstar. I love Jesus Christ Superstar so much that watching cats didn't hurt it. <laughs> oh, my God, cats. Uh, I hated uh, I, I, this is just to make me feel better right now. We hated cats so much that I was watching the Omega Man this week uh-huh. with Michael York and they run it to Peter Ustinov, who, by the way, if uh, you were around in the 70s and you saw Peter Ustinov, well, that was like seeing Christopher Lloyd because you knew everything was going to get 10 percent better. <laughs> but Peter Ustinov is like the one old man in the world that was like uh-huh. raised outside of the city and he, he didn't get killed off at 30. <laughs> and he's quoting T.S. Eliot. Uh-huh. And at one point he said, Jellicle cat. And I said, fuck you, Peter Ustinov. <laughs> and this was before the riot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and let, let me tell you something else in terms of those yeah. guys that you know, those people that as soon as they show up, are going to make everything better. Uh, we have been watching, uh, going back and watching old episodes of Law and Order Criminal Intent. Okay. And there were like a couple of seasons where Jeff Goldblum is one of the detectives. Oh, God. And Jeff Goldblum as uh, as detective on Law and Order Criminal Intent is just absolutely amazing and delightful. Does he Jeff Goldblum it up? Oh, yes, he does, especially in his first couple of seasons. They had him tone it down in his, a little bit in his last <laughs> one, I think. But like- yes, no, I don't even remember the character's name because he is always Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, well, it's like when he does the Apartment.com's commercial. At one point, they gave the name Dr. Brad Bellflower, and I'm like, why? Yeah. Why did yeah. you waste a copywriter's time? Because he's yeah. clearly Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. I found on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is, by the way, the best dumping ground for streaming stuff that you barely remember. <laughs> they have the complete series of 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. What the hell is that? Oh, my God. 1980. I was addicted to this. It was a detective show in 1980 starring. I'm, you're going to say I'm making this up, and I swear to God I'm not. Starring Ben Vereen and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. They were private detectives. And <laughs> Ben Vereen was called 10 Speed because he was real slick and cool. And Jeff Goldblum was brown shoe because he did all the research. <laughs> and it was very Stephen J. Cannell. It's like you watch the title. There's a lot of slow moving car chases and freeze frames. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I just pulled up the uh the uh, picture of the uh, the promo shot for that. Ten speed and brown shoe. Ten speed and brown shoe. That we actually amazing. we used to play this. We were so into this show um, <laughs> in the in the schoolyard of St. Camillus. There were every group of two boys had the same conversation that spring. Let's play ten speed and brown shoe. I'm ten speed. You're brown shoe. <laughs> and if looking wow. back today, I'm like, I'd rather be Jeff Goldblum than Ben Vereen. Wow. This is absolutely amazing. There's like 20 Seriously, episodes. Go do, go do a Google image search on 10 speed and Brown shoe. Yeah. That's, that's up there with uh, tales of the gold monkey. Do you remember that one? <laughs> Which Vaguely, was like, yes, yes. I own the complete DVD of that set. Cause it was an Indiana Jones ripoff. And uh-huh. st- but starring Stephen Collins, who played the dad on Seventh Heaven uh-huh. and, and the Riker character Decker in Star Trek, the motion picture. 
Yeah. He was Indiana Jones and he had a dog with one eye. Right. <laughs> and he and he flew a plane on, around an island. Yeah, I missed that. I was this is making me feel better. I just bought the complete Get Smart and I watched about four episodes of Get Smart and went, yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, it was it's great for when you want to watch it, but I'm like, they made 120 of these? <laughs> it's like the cone of silence again? <laughs> and then they made a movie. Yeah, they made they made a movie, then they brought it back in the 90s and it bombed, and then they then they rebooted it with Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, there was there was a comfort to TV which we've lost now, just like <laughs> there was a comfort to politics, which is long gone. <laughs> There was a there was an episode of Futurama we were watching where uh, the presidential election was happening and it was uh, the the candidate was Jack Johnson and he was running against John Jackson. And the joke was like, oh, all politicians are the same. I'm like, hey, we don't get that joke anymore. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So. Yeah, so what do you think happens the next couple of weeks? I mean, there are arrests happening. The inauguration is going to happen. It could be virtual at this point. Yeah, I think it's it's largely going to be uh, going to be virtual. There may be a small outdoor ceremony, but uh, there's just too many. It's just too dangerous to do it. Do it live for a lot of reasons. Um, I think what's going to happen is uh, at about I I don't right now. Trump is at Camp David. I think he's probably going to go to Mar-a-Lago soon, and I don't think we'll see him again. Yeah, I'm surprised he's, he's not there the now. Country. Well, he's not. He said he's not going to be there in uh, for the inauguration. He tried to go to his Scottish golf club, and Scotland went, "Ah, no." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because of no, uh, pandemic didn't. rules, they were like, "You're not flying anybody in from America." Yeah, yeah, yeah fucking he's, bastard. You know, he's not. He he can't be going to Scotland either. There's there's ex- extraditions allowed. Um, I, I think he he he'll he'll go someplace else. Uh, he's definitely not going to be in D.C. He's obviously not at the inauguration. He's not coming uh, back to New York. He's going to he's never going back to New York. No, he I hates think, New York now. Yeah. Mar-a-Lago is a possibility, but he might not be able to stay there because when it was built, it was agreed that he would not uh, stay there for more than three consecutive weeks. Um well, he so, did. Yeah, also, yeah. when he turned it into a country club, it was condos. So to change it into a country club, it's written into the deed that Ex- no one exactly. can have a permanent resident there. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I think what's uh, I think what is going to happen is that come 1150 a.m. on the 20th, if not sooner, uh, there'll be a blanket pardon issued for anybody participating in any of the. Uh, capital events or any of these other events that happen between now and then. And you don't think the 25th will happen? Impeachment, I don't, impeachment, I don't think will happen. As much as people say, well, Amy Coney Barrett was, uh, was put in in a week, I think the Republicans will still slow the gears on impeachment. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he will be impeached, but I don't think he's going to be convicted. Yeah, he'll um, be impeached to take away his benefits. Well, impeachment will take away his benefits. Uh he, he is going to be impeached, but just like he was impeached before. Right. He'll be impeached he and be not sentenced to anything. Yeah. He won't be removed from office. And then what about New York? New York has been building that case. I I think, you know, the case against uh, case against him, I really uh, don't think we're going to see uh, too much come of that. 
I don't think we're going to see uh, prosecution of him. Uh, and and yes, I know, you know we should and no one is above the law, but prosecuting the president just as soon as he leaves office, it really does set a dangerous precedent. Yeah, well, I, I think that there's been a lot of dangerous precedents this week, and yeah. that seems to be the national discourse is, okay, how do we react to this dangerous precedent? Because there's there are as many people saying uh, doing something will make it worse as there are saying doing nothing will make it worse. To, to, to be clear, every one of those those people needs to be spending 20 years in prison. Everyone who violated the Capitol. Right. Yes. Period. Uh, and uh, But yeah, prosecuting a president as soon as he leaves office, that's going to lead to every president being prosecuted when they leave office. For political reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to remain interesting. So... So you're a season behind on Star Trek Discovery, huh? See, it is a geek uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, because we haven't brought, so yes, I'm behind on Star Trek Discovery. I'm about halfway through season two. They have just uh, uh, found uh, found Spock. They're on TELUS, uh, which is, so I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I, and by the way, uh, I am really enjoying uh, Mirror Universe Philippe Giorgio. See, I'm over the mirror universe. I and I will give you minor spoilers. Uh, that is going to come back in season three, so you oh, get more, sure. you'll get more of that. I'm not going to tell uh, you uh, anymore. I'm sure uh, it will, but I I mean, just from a character standpoint, she is a wonderful villain. I love to hate her. Yeah, she's a good character. I just when I did my last rewatch of D Space Nine and they were doing mirror <laughs> universe every year, I'm like, oh man, I think I'm done. With mirror <laughs> universe, and now and when it came back this season, I was like, ah, oh, more mirror universe. Right. Uh, and I get that the actors like it, mm-hmm. but I feel like I feel like the capper was the Enterprise Mirror Universe, yeah, because <laughs> it was the Mirror Universe slash TOS. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you uh, you have not started Picard. I have not started Picard. I want to oh, finish uh, Discovery before I do Picard. Uh, I've done Picard twice now. <laughs> I there are people that that didn't like it. I loved it so much. <laughs> Uh, I will say that a lot of people didn't like it because the tone is so different from Next Generation. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's one of the reasons I loved it because the tone of 2020, as we've discussed for the last 50 minutes, uh, in fact, that was the theme of the podcast. The America of 2020 is not the America of 1987 when, yeah. when you and I met. Uh, you and I met in the first season of Star Trek The Next oh. Generation. So a couple of days ago, I went back and uh, we were going to let Kathy was like, well, let's just put on some next gen. And I was started flipping through and I'm like, let's go see if this is as bad as I remember. And I put on the uh, the naked now. Oh, yeah. You know what? I watched I watched Encounter Farpoint last week again, just Uh to kind of see the introductions. And then it went to naked now. And I went, oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> I just didn't oh, let in. me tell you that episode. What's fascinating about that is how much of the original TOS sound effects and music are still in that episode. Oh, really? Yeah, you you hear it, and there's like the the uh, t- all the TOS big suspenseful moment. That music clips that's actually in the naked now. Those they first were mirroring that stuff even closer, and that episode. Oh, that is as bad as it was when I first watched it. That that. That show is really two shows. People don't like to admit it, but seasons one and two are a different show. Yeah. It's like, because when season three happens, when they get the collars on the uniforms, the two-piece uniforms, that's when Michael Pillar comes in and completely wipes the writing tone clean. Because you're right. It still had that, like, that Gene Roddenberry heightened drama. 
a lot yeah. of stings. It feels like an 80s show. And then by the time you get to seasons five and six, because I, I, I know I told you this before, but I got to the naked now and I was like, God, I'm out. I think I I checked out a few more in season one and I was just like, I hate this. And I didn't come back till Spock showed up. And that's like season five. And uh, like, I missed best of both worlds when it aired (laughs) because I was like that next generation that sucks. Right. But but seriously, now everybody for your homework, go back and watch the naked. Now I'm going to watch it today because I can't take any more of rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Right well, now they're they're having a lightsaber battle and the water falls and <laughs> I I don't oh, I keep trying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still have to watch that watch that. <laughs> it's not good. That's what I'm saying. It really isn't good. It's on Disney Plus, so you can watch it now, but it's not good. Yeah. Uh but you did watch Lower Decks. I did watch Lower Decks. What did Lower you think Decks of that? Was was fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. I really it so like much. that. It was it hits a lot of the right tone with the right level of snarkiness. What I love most about Lower Decks, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's a comedy of Star Trek without being a parody of Star Trek, which is very hard to do. Yes. It never makes fun of Star Trek. It's like uh actually, no, I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna say it was like the Lego Batman movie, but actually Lower Decks is more referential to reverential with a V more reverential mm-hmm. to Star Trek than the Lego Batman was to Batman. Like mm-hmm. Lego Batman made fun of Batman more than lower decks makes fun of Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, lower decks, it does sort of uh, pick out some of, some of the tropes, but it's, it's absolutely not mocking it. Uh, it is. Uh, is it, is lower? I don't, is lower decks considered Canon? Yeah. It's considered canon in the way that the uh, Star Trek, the animated series is considered canon. Yeah. And I've watched, well, here's what, here, you know, in just sort of strange, not strange coincidences, but coincidences nonetheless. I started watching, excuse me. (coughs) I started watching the animated series a little bit too. And I caught the episode, um, you know, with Spock and the uh, going back to uh, it's like the separate episode where they have the time traveling rock thing again, and they do an animated episode with Spock and going back. And then I caught Lower Decks and there is an episode that just references the hell out of that episode of, of the animated series. Yeah, there are Star Trek references in Lower Decks that I don't get. It was and amazing to the, see that depth. And the beautiful thing about Lower Decks is uh my both of my boys are into Rick and Morty, which they shouldn't be because they're young. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's created by Mike, Man- Mike McMahon, who is a writer from Rick and Morty. And in fact, he talked about maybe not wanting to do it because that that would mean he would have to leave Rick and Morty, and he didn't want to. But he uh-huh. was like, "Well, if I was going to make a Star Trek show, this is what I do." And they were like, "You're greenlit." <laughs> um, but because it's got all these little Easter eggs, it's made the boys so much more tolerant of Star Trek. Oh, okay. Of like, um, we just watched the one where they where they make a Star Trek movie inside the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Which is, it has every trope of every Star Trek movie. <laughs> like, there's a scene with too many lens flares. There's a scene where they show the ship too long. <laughs> there's like a big action sequence for no reason. <laughs> well, uh-huh. like, they're all jet skiing. They 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 even have the signatures of the cast. <laughs> in the credits 
Uh-huh. But there's just little things where they, what I'm like, oh yeah, that's from insurrection. And, and, and then Ben will go, what's insurrection? And now I'm talking for five minutes. Right. Right. Like uh, the Orion character. He, uh, he's, he's like, they, uh, when she gets really mad in that episode that they keep talking about pirates. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, uh, he's, he's like, what are Orion's? He goes, Orion's are pirates. And this is a minor spoiler for season three, but uh, I said, yeah, you remember that character that I was watching Discovery? You walked in the other day and the bad guy in that. He's like, oh, yeah, the green woman that you said was a pirate. That's an Orion. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like they they know what phase converters are like Ben and I have this whole discussion on how you get to the secondary hull of the Cerritos. And I don't know (laughs) that you can. Because, Mm. you know, it has the saucer section. Then it goes right mm-hmm. into the nacelles. You can't walk through a nacelle. But then it's got like a whole secondary hull connecting to two nacelles. And, and for 10 minutes, we're like, well, maybe they just beam back and forth. <laughs> or maybe it's all the warp core. Right. But I love that we can have those conversations because, man, there were years that I was not even allowed to turn Star Trek on in my house. Right. There had to be less people in my house for me to turn on Star Trek. <laughs> and now there are. <laughs> and, and, and the cat doesn't complain as much. Cat doesn't get out of bed. He's 19. Yeah. He'll be 20 in April. If he gets out of bed, he gets very confused. and He doesn't know where he is. <laughs> so, uh, but what have you been into? Let's do a quick greatest thing. Cause you said you're, you're behind on the Jody Whitaker, Dr. Who. Yeah. Which, by the way, was supposed to be this week's topic until the the country blew up again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know the um, you know we're still set, getting settled into the new condos, still getting caught back up and figuring out our routine. But one of the things I've been watching a lot more of, uh, and, and this is one of the this is one of those things I've I've gotten into some more Japanese and Korean TV on Netflix, in part because. This is stuff where I can uh, then uh, Kathy is happy to have me watching this stuff because I can give her attention with my one working hand, you mm-hmm. know, scratching her back or whatever. And I am not picking up the phone throughout the episode to get distracted because I have to read the subtitles. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, so- I'm getting pissed off at subtitles because that means I have to close my laptop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've I've started watching some more stuff like that, uh, including, by the way, Midnight Diner on Netflix. Amazing sort of anthology show about uh, people who go and get dinner at this restaurant that's only open after midnight. Strongly recommended. Uh, but Netflix has started now recommending to me a whole bunch of Korean ghost dramas. And apparently this is a huge thing in Korean TV. Uh, Mystic Pop-Up Bar, I uh, watched that series. Really good. Uh, amazing show about um, a basically a woman who ha- her job is to settle. She's dead. She has to settle grudges. She's been doing it for 500 years. And the, you know, ends up partnering with this kid who, when uh, he touches people, suddenly they spill their truth. And it's, it gets into this whole metaphysics of Korean afterlife, uh, sort of uh, a, a, a good place meets real world. And 
Mystic Pop Up are really great show. And, and these are all live action shows. These are these are all live action shows. Yes. This is not uh, not anime or any uh, thing like that. Uh, so Mystic Pop-Up are strongly recommended. Midnight Diner, which isn't necessarily ethereal and is Japanese-based, strongly recommended if you like 30-minute anthology shows uh, uh, around a, a common framework with some recurring characters. Uh, and then I've started watching things like School Nurse Files, which is terror, which is really not good from a scripting perspective feels like they skipped every other episode, but really fascinating uh, world that they've created. So they've been doing some really interesting world building in these, in these, these shows. And I've just been getting, uh, just been watching more and more of this stuff from an anime perspective. I just started watching the legend of Korra. Uh, oh yeah. Primarily. We're in season two of that now. Uh, oh, I, I started watching it. Yeah. I'm about nine episodes into season one. And I started watching it uh, be just, just because of Janet Varney. And she's amazing in it. Yes, she is. She really she, uh, is. Yeah, I got Sebastian into Avatar. And then okay. as soon as Avatar was over, I said, you know, there's another show. And he was like, let's watch it. So <laughs> uh, we've rolled straight from Avatar into Korra. Okay. And uh, I'd only watched both series all the way through once. Uh -huh. And Korra, Korra, I've finished, but I'm real fuzzy on it. So I enjoyed that. And also, if you like Janet Varney, you have to watch Stand Against Evil. Okay. Uh, which is Dana Gould's horror comedy show ah, with, with gotcha. John C. McGinley. It's all, I think, on Hulu now. Okay. And no, she's I, she's an amazing straight woman in that. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. I mean, what what's amazing is, you know, and it shouldn't matter. It doesn't really matter with voiceover, but watching uh, watching Cora and hearing Janet Varney and having seen her well, live on the cruise and, and, and whatnot and everything, you really forget that, the voice you're hearing from Cora in the show is coming from a, a tall blonde woman with really long hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. There's some, uh, there's some great people in that. I think that was one of the last shows that Andrea Romano directed the voice cast. And she is uh, the legendary voiceover cast uh, director. And you know that because she's a name that I've actually said. I don't know who else does directing, but <laughs> exactly. she did all of the Warner Brothers cartoons in the second golden age. She did Animaniacs. She did Batman, the animated series, Justice League, Batman Beyond. And she always went out of her way to not get cartoon style voices. She mm -hmm. got, she always got actors and uh, both Avatar and Korra have that real authenticity to the voices. Yeah. Like they're, they're not heightened. They're just, they just feel really real and effective. Yeah. Absolutely. I just started uh Ted Lasso. I just started Ted Lasso today. Oh, okay. Um, which I've been hearing about hearing about. It's an Apple plus show. Uh-huh. Which I have Apple plus because uh, the last time I, uh, I got Ben a phone for Christmas last year and they're so desperate to have people watch Apple plus <laughs> that they're like, yeah, yeah we just, it's just unlocked, but everybody's been talking about it. And, I looked at the premise and it's like Jason Sudeikis with a mustache running uh, a soccer team in England. And I'm like, ah, I'm not into sports. I'm not going to watch that. And everybody said, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And just this morning I was like, you know, I really like Jason Sudeikis. I'll put the first one on. And I was <laughs> pulled as soon as he appeared on screen. Cause it's one of those shows where, you know, they spend five minutes kind of explaining the premise and then they, then they show you they're like, well, who can do this? And then they cut to Jason Sudeikis. And within five minutes, I'm like, is he doing an accent there? Oh, is he doing a little attitude there? And he just comes off as like the most positive person in the world with the most with the Southern drawl. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like Daniel Craig and Knives Out, like that oh. kind of draw. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm totally affected by this guy. And it's it's funny because it's the polar opposite of Brockmire, which was the last sports comedy I watched where Hank Azaria was an alcoholic uh, baseball announcer, which I loved. And it was not a hit. <laughs> it was a it was a cult joke. Because man, it was dark. <laughs> and as I'm watching Ted Lasso, I go, oh, I see why people love this. It's Brockmire without bumming you out. <laughs> so I think I'm going to finish that. That's my greatest thing in the world. Well, I, I do want to, uh, you know, because we haven't been brought down enough yet. Uh, yeah. We're talking about voiceover. I do also want to talk a little bit about Tom Gay. So it was announced on uh, December 30th that he suffered a stroke. Right. Right. And it took away the one thing that uh, gave him his career. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I know him most from his work on the Powerpuff Girls, where he's been Professor Utonium across the various iterations. He's also uh, in The Last Jedi. He was Admiral Akbar. He's done a bunch of Yoda work. In he's done Yoda in the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what he's living with is, is aphasia now. And, and here's what's interesting about that. One of the things a lot of folks don't realize is our use of language is separate from our thought process. So you can think, th- you think things before you attach words to them. So outside of this uh, impacting his career, uh, when folks who have a stroke or a TBI encounter aphasia, they're thinking just as clearly as they ever thought. They're having all of those same thoughts. They have the same things they want to say. They just literally cannot get to the words in order to be able to say them. Right. It's, a, it's that connection that's broken. It, that connection is broken. Uh, and that makes it for an incredibly frustrating experience. And you know, when you encounter somebody with aphasia, one of the most important things to keep in mind is they're not stupid. They know exactly what you're saying and they want to respond. They just can't get to the vocabulary in order to do it. It's like having a one-way universal translator. Now, when you had your stroke, you were mm-hmm. you were slurring for a few days. Was that aphasia or was that just the muscles? That was just the muscles. I, I never had aphasia. I had uh, what was technically was called apraxia of speech, um, where basically I was slurring because I didn't have full control over the muscles on the left side of my face, the left side of my tongue uh, and my neck. And all of those impact your ability to clearly articulate things. Um, within about you know a week or so, I wasn't slurring to most other people. Uh, It took about six months before I feel that my voice actually returned to the full level it had been. Uh, And I don't think most people would have noticed that, but I noticed that it took that long uh, just because I spent so much time podcasting and working with my speech. So I'm just not much more naturally attuned to it. Uh, But uh, yeah, I fortunately never had aphasia and never lost access to language. Right. Uh, now you can come back from it. You can rebuild those connections because the words are already there. It's just sort of the routing to that that's broken. And what's what's really interesting is that some people who experience this, they can actually get back. They they can't say the words, but they can sing them. Interesting. 
Now, these are some of the things you talk about on the Strokecast, which uh, what, are you f- three years into the Strokecast now? I am. Uh, let's see. I we're coming up on uh, we're coming up on three years in February. Yeah. Yeah. And how can people find it? They can find us at strokecast.com or in whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast. And how can we find you out in the internet? Because you haven't you been banned find- from Twitter. <laughs> I have not been banned from Twitter yet. You can find me on Twitter at currently Bill. You can find me on the web at billmonroe.net. 